it's truly what a person is doing when they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It's a public proclamation. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm going to love him no matter what, in sickness and in health and for richer, for poorer. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to cherish him. For as long as I live, no matter what, I'm going to love him. And then the, the Lord's Supper is like an anniversary. Now, if I ask the ladies in this room, is that important? It would be a resounding, you betcha. That's important. And the Lord's Supper is important. In an anniversary time, you, you take an opportunity to, to get alone and, and, and to remember and to reflect and, and to renew those commitments and to rejoice in the fact that God has brought you together. Wedding anniversaries should not be neglected. And neither should the Lord's Supper be neglected. The Bible speaks to us and gives us direction about the Lord's Supper. I think it's important that we read this scripture together. When people come to me and I'm talking to them about getting baptized, one of the things that I say to them is, listen, I want this to be a very meaningful experience to you. Please. Don't let this just be some ritual that you do because you're a Christian. But I want you to, to sense how important it is that you publicly profess Jesus to other people. I want you to sense how much Jesus loves it when you do that. The joy that it brings him. The happiness that it brings him. As a matter of fact, I say to them, I want you to, if in your mind, if you're able to do this, I want you to kind of picture Jesus. Maybe as you're going down into the water, you can picture him. You can look up and you can see him. And when you see him, I want you to see him with a gigantic smile on his face because this is something that pleases him so much. In the same way, I want this to be a meaningful experience to you it would be easy for it to be a ritual. It would be easy for it to be just something that we do now and again. But this is pleasing to the Lord. And it's important that we take time to remember and to reflect and to renew and to rejoice, to celebrate our relationship with Jesus. I want to read to you, if I could, from Luke chapter 22. And... Then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm reading from Luke 22, which is the Last Supper. Because when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he mentions this occasion. And so I thought it was important for context that we read from Luke 22. And I start in the seventh verse. It says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. 
follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs. It's all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And he went on to say, But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then over in 1 Corinthians 11, and we start in the 17th verse, the Apostle Paul writes, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. To some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there are there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner, in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why... Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, I want to take that passage of Scripture, and I just want to answer some questions, because it's important that we understand the Lord's Supper. And the best way to do that is to look into the Scriptures and answer the questions that we have about it. I want to answer the question, who? Who should take the Lord's Supper? I want to turn over, if I could, to... Um, just one chapter before 1 Corinthians 11 to chapter 10 and verse 16. And I want to read this to you. Verse, 
1 Corinthians 10, 16. Is it not a, the cup of blessing which we bless? I'm sorry. Is it not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is it not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Believers share in the work of Jesus Christ as they partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. It's for the believer. It's for the one who has been redeemed. It's for the one who has been transformed. The Lord's Supper always is taken and celebrated in the context of the body of believers. That word share in 1 Corinthians 10 is the word koinia. It's where we get the word fellowship. And this, this dinner, this, this meal, this celebration, this, this gathering is for those who have experienced, who have experienced in their own lives the blood of Jesus taking away their sin. There's no sense in having an anniversary celebration if there hasn't been a wedding. It's for those who have proclaimed him, who have publicly proclaimed him as their savior. It's for the believer. It's for those who seek, who have a heart and a desire to turn from sin and to walk in obedience to the Lord. That's who this table is for. But what about those who are here this morning who aren't believers? This table really is also for unbelievers to see the work of Jesus, to see the transforming power of Jesus, to see the new life that Jesus brings as they watch Believers participate in the Lord's Supper. They watch, they learn what the Lord's Supper represents. They watch and they learn about forgiveness and transformation and new life. But where? Where shall we take the Lord's Supper? And really, in Scripture, it's simple. There's really only one requirement. In verses 18 and verses 20 of 1 Corinthians 11, it uses the words come together or gather. When you come together, when you gather as a church, it's meant not to be a private celebration, but a public celebration, a celebration for the family, a celebration for the assembly, a celebration for the gathering, a celebration for the church to use. And when? The command is simple here, too. It says observe it often. In verse 25 and 26 of the passage we just read, it says whenever you eat and drink. In some versions of the Bible, it says as often as you eat and drink. We should observe the Lord's Supper often. It should be a regular practice. Here at Avalon, we have chosen to observe the Lord's Supper once every other month, six times a year, at least six times a year, and sometimes we do it on special occasions. I wonder if that's enough. If we looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2, there's a passage of Scripture, I believe it's about the 8th, or maybe a little bit further, about the 12th chapter. It talks about them coming together on the first day of every week to break bread and to observe the Lord's Supper but it says, it doesn't give us a, a clear directive on it. It doesn't say, 
specifically how often. It just says as often as you do it. Whenever you come together, whenever you eat and drink of the bread and the cup. How do we observe this? I'm not going to talk about this today because the more and more that I studied about the how we observe, the more and more I began to understand that it's a whole sermon all unto itself. And so I want to do that another time. I want to teach on the subject of transubstantiation and what that means and why that has been a tradition of the church since the 13th century. But for now, when we talk about how we observe the Lord's Supper, I want us to understand the biblical understanding of this, that it is a symbolic meal that reflects salvation, that the bread represents the body of Jesus, that the cup represents the blood of Jesus. I want us to focus the time that we have remaining on why. Why, when I say to you, I want this to be a special time. I want this to be a meaningful time. I want this to be a memorable time. I want this to be a life-changing time. I think the progression of what this scripture gives us is very, very important. The first thing it tells us about the Lord's Supper and why we should be observing this ordinance is because we should remember that we should remember the body of Jesus. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. Remember that that God humbled himself, that God himself humbled himself and, and he took on the clothing of humanity, that he became a man. Remember his shed blood. Remember the blood of Jesus. Remember that as a man that he shed his blood so that we might have relationship with him. I think the important thing here, and I think the beginning of this process of what he wants to to do in our lives through our observance of this ordinance, is that we remember that, that this is a real event, that we fix our minds, that we focus our minds on a specific time in history, that Jesus was a very real person, that he died on a very real cross, and that we can, we can go there in our minds, that we can place ourselves at the foot of that cross, that we can place ourselves on Calvary. It was real. He was real. The nails were real. The blood was real. His body was real. The pain was real. It was a real event in history. We have this tendency, especially in a communion hour, where, where we just, we kind of just think this is a dream or something. But this is an event, a historical event, recorded in history for us. A very real Jesus hanging on a very real cross. And then, as we're there at the foot of that cross, as we're there on that hill called Calvary, we can begin to reflect just as you do in the anniversary celebration of your wedding. First, you remember. You go back to that time, don't you? You go back to that time, and you remember. maybe you take out the pictures. You remember. And then you begin to reflect. And at the Lord's Supper, as we remember and as we look upon a real cross and a real Jesus and a real death, 
we reflect on our sin. And we begin to examine ourselves. And it's not to be something that is a a casual exercise for us, but there needs to be a, a seriousness to it. We begin to see our sin on him, on Jesus. And we begin to reflect on how he died for us because of our sin, that that he's there for us, but he's there by us too. (laughs) He's there for us, but he's there because of us. For it is our sin that nailed him to that cross. It's why he hangs there. So we use this time as a time of, of confession. We ask the Holy Spirit to bring to our minds things that we've said, things that we've done, maybe things that we've been directed to do by his Spirit that we've failed to do. We ask him to bring those things to our mind and we just offer them to him. We see our sin on him. We reflect on our sin. And it's important that we do that first, that we reflect on our sin so that we can reflect on his promises. His promise that he would forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His promise that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. His promises of renewal. His promises of cleansing. We confess so we can reflect upon his promises. As our sin comes to our mind, we receive and experience his forgiveness. Each sin that comes to mind, and I hope you'll take that serious. Lord, please. I want to confess that to you. I want to turn from that. I want you to to cleanse me. I want a fresh start. Here's the promises, folks. We, We reflect on this sin, and every sin that comes to our mind, the promise of Jesus is, I've taken it away. We confess something that we looked at, maybe on the TV, maybe on the internet, and he says, I've taken it away. We, we, we reflect on something that we said to somebody that we know we shouldn't have said, and he says, I've taken it away. We, we reflect on something that maybe we took that didn't belong to us, or, or maybe a covetous moment, or you know what that moment is, and he He smiles and he says, I've taken it away. I've taken it away. Your sin is covered. I I don't think that we can fully appreciate his promises until we first fully reflect on the sin. And the more we reflect on the sin, the greater value his promises has in our life. This this is an occasion where we want to kind of set aside our our, our minds and just focus on why he hangs there and the promises that flow out of his blood, that flow out of his death, his promises. Now listen, here's the experience. 
I reflect on my sin. I reflect on, my, on his promises. And I find myself feasting on his forgiveness. Feasting. I find myself feasting on his faithfulness. I find myself becoming full with understanding the relationship that we have together. Come, becoming full with his cleansing power in my life, with his forgiveness and with his faithfulness. This is why this is a celebration. This is an ordinance. This is an occasion for believers. For unbelievers cannot experience that. They cannot experience that forgiveness. They have nothing to feast upon. I reflect on my sin. I reflect on his promises. Taken care of, paid for, gone, covered, separated, not to be remembered anymore. And I feast. I feast on him. And I feast on his forgiveness. And I feast on his faithfulness. And it's, it's in that place. First, I remember. I remember it was real. A real cross, a real Jesus. I reflect on my sin. I, re, I reflect on his promises. I feast on him. I find myself being filled up. And then I come to a time of renewal, a time to renew, to renew my commitment to him, to Jesus, to turn from my sin and turn to a life of, Obedience, not to, dis, not to continue in disobedience, but to walk in obedience. You, you really shouldn't be able to leave the Lord's table and just casually resume a sin that's going on in your life. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, if the, as we talk about who should participate in this, in this celebratory meal, who should participate? Well, certainly believers should participate. But, you know, if there's a believer in here who says, you know what, I know that this is a sin. I know this is an area of my life that's dishonoring to God. I, I know that he doesn't like it. But I know I'm not going to stop it. I don't really want to stop it. This table is really not for you. And that seems a little unhospitable, I guess. But let's sacrifice hospitable for truth, for what his word teaches for what he calls us to. We renew our commitment to him. It's also a time to renew our commitment to one another. This is a family time. You know, I, I think it's why Paul started this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. He goes, man, what are y'all doing? Some of you are indulging yourselves and, and you're ignoring the poor. Some of you have plenty. Some of you have none. There's divisions among you. This is a, a time to renew our commitment to one another. It's a time where, where we, we kind of, you know, even if it's in our heart, it's this, you can count on me. We're in this together. There are no divisions here. There's certainly no racial divisions here. There are no ethnic divisions here. There are no social divisions here. There are no economical divisions here. This is a family. And this is a time. This is one of the reasons Jesus set this aside. This is one of the reasons Jesus made this a part of our, of our regular worship time, an ordinance of the church that, 
that, that we would renew our commitment to him, that we would renew our commitment to one another. I, I would have to ask you, if you're here this morning, are you here this morning, and you're, you're harboring bitterness in your heart for a brother or sister in Christ, you, that's got to be dealt with. Don't be casual about that. That's serious business. It's serious to him. As a matter of fact, if you go, well, that, well that's just too bad because I'm not going to take care of it. I'm not going to deal with that. This table's not for you. It's not for you. It's for the one who has a heart and a desire to renew a commitment to the one who died for us, but also to renew our commitment to one another. It's a serious part of what we're doing. It's also a time to recommit, to renew our commitment to the mission that God has given us, to our mission as a church. Verse 26 of that passage of Scripture, it says that when we do this, we proclaim his death. It's, a, it's a, a renewed commitment to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every people group in the world. When's the last time you even thought about that? Well, this is an opportunity to do that. It may start with the guy next door or the guy in the next cubicle or in the classroom. But it's, it's, it's a commitment that we make. And, and, and this is an opportunity for us to say, yeah. God, I probably haven't done that like I should, but... And today, as I, as I reflect on what you've done, as I reflect on your promises, I want to renew myself. I want to renew myself to you and recommit myself to you and, and to this family and, and to sharing your message and proclaiming your message, our commitment to his mission, taking the gospel to the world. Now, there's another why. This is a time of celebration. This is not a funeral. It's really not supposed to take on the atmosphere of a funeral. It is really supposed to be a celebration. Yeah, I, there is a seriousness about reflecting on sin. There's a solemnness about reflecting on sin. But, but, but we do that so that we can get to a place of of renewal, and so we can get to a place of, of celebration. And what do we celebrate? We celebrate this. He set us free. He set us free from the penalty of our sin. He set us free from the power of sin in our lives, it says to us in Romans. That was the, the, why Passover was salad was celebrated year after year after year after year. You know what they would remember? They would remember that they were set free. We should remember that we're set free. Jesus says you're not slaves anymore. You're children. You've been set free from slavery. We've been set free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. We celebrate that. In your life, is that worthy of celebration? Do you ever think about what he has done for you? And we celebrate that he's alive and he's coming back. Folks, he is not dead. One sacrifice. He doesn't sacrifice himself over and over and over again. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God. One sacrifice. Risen and alive. 
And He's coming back. And I tell you this morning that there will come a day, it tells us in Revelation 22 and verse 24, we will see Him face to face. And it tells us again in Revelation that we will share this cup with Him one day. He says to His disciples, this is the last time until my kingdom. But it didn't mean it was the last time. For Revelation is clear that one day we will celebrate with him. The Lord's Supper is an essential part of New Covenant worship. When I say New Covenant, I mean everything has changed. Everything has changed. When Jesus took that bread and he took that cup at that last supper that we read about in Luke, it changed for the disciples. What he shared with them, do this in remembrance of me, that was different for them. It was changed. They had been doing that year after year after year after year after year after year, remembering the blood that was across the doorpost, but no longer. Now the blood of the perfect Lamb of God is what we would remember. The Lord's Supper is an essential part of New Covenant worship and a celebratory expression of New Covenant community to be done together as a family. Do you get that progression? Do you understand what it means? Can you experience that in these next few minutes? To remember, to reflect, to renew. Renew your commitment to him and to each other and to the mission that he's given us and then to celebrate. We serve a risen Lord. I want to ask our ushers if we, they would to come and take their places. I want to pray a short prayer, and then we're going to distribute these elements. I pray that this will be a meaningful experience for you. I pray that you're able to remember and reflect and renew and to celebrate. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in your omniscience, in your all-knowing way, that you knew we desperately need a time like this. We need a time to remember the reality, the historical fact that you left heaven's glory and became a man with a real body and you died on a real cross and you shed real blood as an expression of your love for us. And Lord, we need to reflect on those areas of our lives. It's important that we do this. Help us do it. Those areas of our lives that do not honor you. And as we see those clearly, Lord, then we are able to reflect on your promises, that you would cleanse us. You'd take care of it. You have taken care of it. Then, Lord, that we would renew our commitment to you. We'd leave here changed. We'd renew our commitment to one another. And we would renew our commitment to the calling you have on our lives. May this be a time of celebration, for you are a risen king. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen, if you just remain standing. John, if you can help me.